Thinking and Listening to Place emerges as a thematic of where and how to gather, a collection of texts published on Disclaimer, edited by Justin Myberg. These works consider technology and humanity as being in the world, rather than as tacit mediators or observers of it, with the writing investigating the processes by which meditation is obscured, or how presence is made difficult. There's also a knowing that we need to find ways to come together, to listen and act. Working out how is tricky and multi-layered, queering rituals, dismantling hegemonies and the struggle of activism are grappled with, but joy, and sometimes cheekiness, finds its way into these processes too. This coexistence of the serious and the lovely or ridiculous runs through a lot of what's here, and also underpins Audible Edge's curation. The featured artists include those from 2020's cancelled Audible Edge Festival, curated by Tone Listing Ballu, Perth. Michael Terran and Joey Mayhias talk through the ideas and processes behind their respective pieces, The Hegemony of the Door and 1111 Typhoon. I'm Michael Terran. I am an electronic musician and a writer sometimes, and I teach electronic music and composition at uh, Edith Cowan University at the WA Academy of Performing Arts and the University of Western Australia as a casual academic. So the piece, The Hegemony of the Door, is uh, about a... um, a topic I've been thinking about a lot for the last six or so years in which uh, basically I'm trying to thicken the plot around digital audio workstations and try and reconfigure them as like a political project. There's this kind of idea, I think, that um, electronic music or even music made in the door is kind of, you know, it's abstract and it's kind of like beyond politics, but what I'm interested in is kind of approaching doors and the, and the process of electronic music production, not so much from this very like music conservatoire idea of it being like, you know, interested in like improving my craft or improving technique, but kind of in the fine art sense of like uh, constructing the context, thinking about gesture, agency, uh, politics, so this essay is kind of my attempt, uh, yeah, one of several attempts to uh, try and kind of inject some politics and get us to think more critically about the door because the door mediates basically all recorded music today. It's so ubiquitous and, and it's very difficult to describe how ubiquitous it is. The essay itself is kind of a, uh, uh, an, a distillation of my PhD which is called the grain of the digital audio workstation. So it's just trying to you know, clarify and solidify that into like a re- relatively small package. And there we are on disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, um, I try not to think about like music tools or, or artistic tools in terms of like, freedom and liberty because I think they're complete red herrings in terms of like the the relative value socially and politically of uh, those 
those um, pieces of software and as artistic materials because artists love like pushing against the limits of a material in order to kind of speak to the material condition of it or whatever. But, you know, freedom, especially in the um, domain of, uh, especially when technologists talk about it, usually what that means is freedom to do it individually, to do it by yourself, uh, to do away with like, you know, the corporate overlords. And in doing so, we sort of created new corporate overlords. So, you know, Ableton, for example, might be kind of considered as this like, uh, you know, countercultural company, same with even like, you know, Apple back in the day or, you know, all these other digital audio workstation creators. But, you know, there are new corporate overlords now. And so I think uh, we need to, yeah, think more critically about sort of taking their narrative of what production is and does and sort of uh, reconfiguring that for our own needs as artists uh, and trying to think through how to how to better improve our condition as music producers or creators working with sound. I tend to think of 2014 as my watershed year in terms of thinking about this stuff more critically. Uh, politically at the time, that was when like the Abbott government was trying to impose austerity and one of the measures of that was like cutting Australia Council's budget by a third or whatever uh, value that was. And, you know, watching all of these, watching the arts community rally together to, you know, to propose, uh, to, to, to fight these cuts and me being there, me sitting like at my laptop with my, you know, with my digital audio workstation and my little like practice, which I considered very abstract. And I'm like, um, why, why isn't my music kind of reflecting this uh political moment that we're in why how can i how can i improve that practice how can i make like this electronic music that i'm making like a compelling political project and uh i i still don't know the answers to that i feel like um that's one of the uh tricks with making music uh, which is relatively abstract uh is um uh trying to uh you know, inject polit- inject some like political ideas in them, which uh, that, that's that's really difficult, and that's still something I'm working on. I think at the moment that just means like teeing up more collaborations, trying to make the collaborative process as um, as non hierarchical as possible, which is very difficult with DAWs. They really privilege individualism just by design and in the culture. Uh, around like electronic music production like it's very it's very boyish it's very um well it's very colonial it's in, you know in the sense that like the the uh door is built around like the piano keyboard like the 12 tone equal tempered piano keyboard as like the defining way to construct pitch i think um it's another thing about like doors and and, and the narrative around like creating independence and diy is it's created a whole industry around plugins and like software synthesizers uh, which makes collaboration even harder uh, because you know not only do you need to like share the same door as your collaborator but also like all of the third-party plugins and there are millions you know it's uh, it's um yeah that, that just makes it so difficult and uh and i still really struggle with it Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean Ableton, like uh, I actually love that sound of like Ableton's warping tool, but and um and I I love the the discourse around like people trying to pick out what door uh people are using or whatever. Um, I mean, it's, some of it's just it's it's really just like clutching at straws, but um. I've actually just started like a music project, which really takes like Ableton's warping as like a central compositional feature. So I've recently started this uh, project called Merino Shoot, which is like beats based, but the whole shtick behind it is um, it's changing tempo at like every beat or at the subdivision of every beat. So it's like the rhythms which aren't really tied to like a reliable downbeat. But one of the one of the cool factors around that that approach is um it's really fun to remix stuff because uh you know with ableton's warping for example if you're like changing the tempo then the ableton's ableton's warping will change with that so you can turn like you know really like cheesy like techno or trance or hard style and sort of turn it into this wobbly uh mess and i I love that i found that that's really fun and i found i find that pro that process as well like starting that project uh really made me question oh really um i guess provided some direction as to how to uh, make door practice like an interesting political project in the sense that it is um I, I i try and think about door practice in terms of in terms of like the narratives that it perpetuates so the independence narrative is one obvious one you know, another one being like, you can make any sound you want, you know, like the, that one, that one's so universal when we're talking about doors, you know, that any sound can be built. It's just, you know, you're li- only limited by your imagination, uh, that kind of thing. But some of that I'm, th- that I'm really interested in is, um, uh, I call it like the observer effect in which how it changes the way you think of music when it is fully visualized in front of you on the screen, which is like the definitive feature of DAWs, the fact that you can see everything. So I think in the in the hegemony of the door, the piece that I wrote for Disclaimer, uh, I talked a bit about how doors are visual processes as much as sound processes. And the reason why that needed to happen in the first place is because uh, we, um, we internalize visual information much quicker and possibly easier than sonic information. So, you know, a project like, you know, these these beats that I'm doing in which like everything's kind of tempo is kind of randomized, it completely like severs this relationship between like, you know, this very boring way that doors visualize information and what you actually hear. So I find that really interesting. So the the essay is basically just like a four paragraph exposition of a of a really good pun, <laughs> um, and so the song "No Scrubs" by TLC, it's one of the last songs to have been kind of mostly like constructed, mixed, mastered, recorded, kind of in the analog domain, and then Ricky Martin's "Living La Vida Loca" with uh, Desmond Child producing moved everything to Pro Tools, and as a result of that, you know, that that sort of necessitated a big uh, shift in the economics around uh, music production because Pro Tools is cheaper than your your massive thirty two channel solid state Logic you know, mixing console or whatever. And so the the pun is basically that uh, 
you know, to, to edit sound in the analog domain, you have to kind of like scrub the, uh, the wheels of the tape machine in order to find the exact onset of the sound. And then you can make the splice and then change that around. And, uh, I just really love that. Cause like no scrubs meant, no, no, you can't scrub anymore to do that. Cause it's all in the, um, it's all in pro tools now. I'm very fond of that pun, <laughs> but in terms of like, uh, the language around, around this kind of stuff, I think uh, one that I'm very interested in is the language around the term producer. So when a, when an electronic musician calls themselves a producer, that means something quite specific uh, and that differentiates from someone who self-identifies as a composer or a sound designer or a musician or an instrumentalist. Uh, I'm very interested in how the language has changed from the producer being like, you know, the film producer, like the supervisor or like the, the logistics person, the, the person you know, who's trying to get the creative, direct, the creative director to do exactly, you know, to, to realize their vision or whatever. And then producer as like recording culture emerged, so I'm thinking like 60s to today, um, being like the creative director. So the creative director saying to the band, oh, you should try this and this and this and this. And then in the last 20 years, the producer has become sort of the the entire like your judge, jury, executioner of their own of of their music. So they don't collaborate. They do they they write the music, they mix it, they master it uh, sometimes. And I find that really interesting and and a bit sad. So uh, so I describe it as like the deregulation of musical labor. Uh, deregulation sort of implying that by removing all of these barriers between like recording, composition, mixing, mastering, all of these, you know, in the 70s, 60s and 70s and stuff were like unionized jobs in which the sound recordists had, you know, they did this and this and only this and the mixing engineers only did this, whatever, whatever. Those barriers have been completely deconstructed with the door. Uh, so producer just now means you are doing everything by yourself. So I find that, I find that change of language, uh, of what the producer has meant to be really interesting. I kind of like that, you know, the, the, the classic Marxist line of like seizing the means of production. I, I think about that a lot in terms of, um, you know, electronic music production and how, how, uh, we haven't really seized the means of production, by which I mean the door. The door is a means of production. And I'm really interested in how you can actually, like, if you can't seize, like, the material means of production, by which I mean, like, making a brand new door, which, you know, makes it super easy to collaborate or whatever. I don't have those skills, so um, they'd be difficult for me. But, you know, if you can't seize those material means of production, then maybe the narratives around music production. So I think, I think my music and my research is kind of addressing that, those narratives and trying to bring them to light and uh, encouraging a conversation around them. So that, that term comes from an idea by Matthew Kirschenbaum in which he describes that one of the defining features of the word processor uh, as opposed to the typewriter is with a typewriter, like the act of writing is the same as the act of inscribing. So creating a physical change in the world 
like you you press a letter on your typewriter and it puts ink on a page and then you know, that process of like revision happens in the physical world as well so you you can write it out write out all the mistakes in like red ink or your know, red pen uh etc but with a word processor um that act of inscription doesn't happen until very 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 end so uh you know all the editing and stuff that's done in the box in the in the computer so that that creates this condition where um you know where words as well as music is in this state of of like stasis where everything is in flux so hence the term like indefinite flux and i think one example of how this can be annoying is myself being a door practitioner i can get very um particular about the sound that i'm trying to get and uh well so you know people call this like get being in the mix hole so you're just like endlessly revising and revising and then you end up with something that's very different and often really bad so just like it sort of engenders this process of like uh, composition by revision and uh i'm not sure i don't really have any like any comments on like the politics of that but at a at a prosaic level um it's a massive bummer <laughs> to uh, to just um, uh, have this condition where uh, you're you're just like changing things and changing things and changing things over and over, uh, blurring the lines completely between recording, composition, mixing, uh, synthesis, sequencing, whatever. But it's it's tricky to um, to describe how well yeah how to how to alleviate that. I think it's, I think a lot of that is not so much the technology as um, uh, just creating like mental tricks to tell yourself, okay, I'm I'm stuck in the mix hole. Let's get out of that. <laughs> I'm not too sure of the answers for that yet. Everyone learns uh, door-based practice differently, and you know, for a long, long time, the de facto educator of doors and electronic music production was youtube and uh as such um you know everyone's learned in a different way i think it's interesting that universities have latched on to the 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 demand to learn door-based production because you know it is a very steep learning curve but you know even when it's like heavily institutionalized the the way i teach at universities everyone everyone deals with things everyone has their own quirks their own way of using this software and that in itself uh the fact that there is like um that because you know all the boundaries for everything are so blurred that there is no standardized kind of way to to make this sort of music that that in itself promotes this individualist music culture and i'm i'm not sure if there's if there's a fix to that technologically, you know, you know, it's kind of silly to think that technology will solve our problems anyway. But uh, it's um, it's an it's an interesting narrative that's emerging at the moment. Just you're being stuck in this in this stasis and how to get out of that. There's this trope around like. Perth being like the most isolated city in the world or whatever and I'm not sure how entirely true that is because Perth being you know part of like the one of, you know, one of the wealthiest countries in the world and having you know good internet access like you know uh, the the actual isolation is really not that bad like you know, like like 
cultural capital is is pretty high in in Australia, let alone Western Australia. So um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe being from Perth or from like uh, sort of. Um, is a good way to think through like these ideas around like loneliness and isolation um, and how doors exacerbate those. Um, uh, but I'm also, you know, not sure if making broad generalizations about someone's location is <laughs> particularly conducive to interesting, interesting practice, but it's something I think about. And I really love all the artists who've um, done awesome stuff for, for this uh, disclaimer. Uh, edition. It all reads and looks really good. I'm Joey Mejias. I'm from Antipolo Rizal in the Philippines. I'm a musician and a projection designer, and I sometimes perform under several names. Um, but Joey and I is my main um, pop, experimental, and collaborative project. So my piece is called 1111 Typhoon. It's an eight-minute video piece that consists of footage and sound that was recorded in our garden during the typhoon of November 11 last year. And so the name is also 1111 because it's, it's a thing here like um, there's a shopping um, <laughs> date, like a world um, nationwide um, sale called the 1111 sale. So I chose that number as well. <laughs> Um, so during that time, there was a power outage the whole night and day, um, but I had a flashlight to check what, what was going on outside, and it sounded like the trees were about to break, and I, I could clearly hear the rain washing through the roof. As I hear the wind move from left to right above my head, I, I had a flashlight to check what was going on outside, and um, yeah, so I, I, I just tried to put myself to sleep, and started singing um, Ulang Lumilipad Sayero. It's, this is uh, the line that you could hear in the, in the song. Mm -hmm. And in Filipino, it can be translated as um, the rain flying through the tin roof. So for this piece, I wanted to express the feeling of being inside, of being in a safe place while there's some sort of chaos and unpredictability happening outside. And that time I was ask, asking myself, why am I being silenced, you know? At the same time, choosing silence to just observe and accept the passing of the storm. So a few months after, I performed the same song on the same garden, sort of simulating the typhoon, but still processing that same feeling of still having to survive a storm. Yeah, it, it's, it also has a lot to do with what was going on during the pandemic because um, yeah the pandemic has you know it's it's taken us through waves of change and unpredictability and fear and depression you know 
at the same time, it was the perfect opportunity to spend a lot of time with with myself and to learn to use myself as an anchor. And it has allowed us to also get deeper, deeper in our inner practice. So uh, speaking of space, it has always been an important inspiration in my work. Um, how we take memories from different spaces and almost literally bringing those fragments to another place and another time and another setting. In, in the piece, I wanted to simulate the storm in another time and place and environment to sort of remember the feeling of, yeah, the, the, the original context, the past context. At the same time, um, taking those realizations of being calm, of being quiet, of the feeling of pain and frustration and reflecting it back to, to another moment. So space is part of theater and theater allows you to do that with a with a live audience and give them the full experience but since this cannot be done at, at the moment because of our new situation with covid video becomes the medium and that is another simulation for me <laughs> you know at the moment yeah. the matrix is becoming more and more apparent <laughs> the simulation <laughs> feels more real and we need quiet moments, moments with nature, moments of acceptance to remember that everything is perception anyway. So, um... I was trained in production design. Yeah, so yeah. As I mentioned, like space is a huge inspiration for my work. And as a production designer, part of my work is creating space and using theater elements like stage, lighting, projections to, to express um, fragments of the message that I'm trying to convey in a song. So in a performance setting, I usually would have those um, stage elements to kind of complete the song to complete the story so that that also includes um, staging like blocking and having perf other yeah. performers with me so for the piece I wanted to show the setting by simulating the storm using the projections um, as as light um, the fake rain so for the fake rain I asked my brother-in-law to use a hose and like hold it and like that's the fake rain <laughs> um, um, yeah the tailored garden and I used an electric fan to kind of simulate that wind and um, I used a flashlight I, I mounted a flashlight on the fan so it kind of moves like that um, <laughs> with the fan um, yeah and I I didn't mention this yet but I also uh, wore a typical silhouette in Myanmar for that piece um, um, because I also wanted to express how I was feeling after seeing everything that was happening to Myanmar at that time. Because um, during the beginning of the pandemic, I was stuck there for four months. Yeah, and um, after seeing what was happening in a year, yeah, it was like... Um, I just wanted to express 
how I felt with what was happening there on uh, in Myanmar. Because in Myanmar, um, the women would hang their skirts. It's called the laundry. That's what I was wearing in the in the video. To they would hang the skirts on the street as a form of protest against the military, and it was a way for me to somehow fight back, even while the situation was was helpless. So yeah, the performance of the song was live, but in an artificial setting, and somehow the act of performing itself was, yeah, mm. reminding of the reflections that I was going through the storm itself. Um, so in the Philippines, we often use humor to discuss difficult topics, whether it's in a debate, political commentary, or tragedy, anything. Um, sometimes to the point where humor dilutes the topic. However, it's 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 usually an effective way to get the message across. And yeah, if if you really look at um, the culture here, it's. Um, Humor is used a lot and to the point where um, even if it's not trying to be funny, it becomes funny or it becomes absurd. Yeah, this is um, something that I embrace as well when it comes to doing work here. Also, um, most of the language is non-confrontational or too direct or subjective. So the only way to get a straight message across is by breaking the ice and by adding a bit of humor and soften the blow. Um, yeah, so yeah, this is something that I embrace with my work and something that I also look for in my work somehow. Like if it's something makes me laugh a little bit by its absurdity, then it's, it's good. Yeah, so technology allows um, possibilities to create solutions you know solutions that would never be possible in the past or will never be would, wouldn't have been possible um, before and it so it brings more possibilities to explore the existing reality or limitations and um, yeah connecting this to art uh, performance music sound films, it brings more possibilities of emotions as well to an audience and to an artist itself. But it can also be limiting when it comes to having the actual means to afford it. And at the same time, it also allows access to those who cannot. Um, yeah, sometimes it contradicts itself. But at the end of the day, it's really about resilience and creativity and making use of making use of what what you have and this i think is the best thing we can take from technology as artists and as humans and yeah it's it's really it's always been something that inspires me to kind of like take this technology from somewhere else something that we probably cannot afford or something that we don't really have access to and kind of using it in our own way um and just using creativity basically and working together to kind of create something different and to bring that full experience to to our audience yeah
it's interesting because um, I was after Myanmar, I was gonna go to Australia, and I was really, really looking forward to that. It was like my first tour outside, like a long tour outside another big country, and uh, yeah, Justin has only been very helpful. You know, he was really patient, and that that really because of that time, like from March till now, like a year, right? Since it was supposed to, yeah. the festival was supposed to happen. It also allowed a lot of space to kind of really explore um, new work, to really explore new practice, and he also gave a lot of patience and time for for me as well to yeah to come up with this work that's that's like shot in like a few months apart, and I'm I'm very happy with how it came out. Um, it came out really naturally, and I think it started. Like it's gonna start a series of of things and exploration for me. So this kind of work. So I'm really happy that with with the process and also like the happy accident that it spanned for like a whole year. This recording was produced by Mara Schwitt-Vega for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Boon Wurrung and Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. To learn more head to liquidarchitecture.org.au